Romans chapter 12. <clears throat> Let's read the first two verses. I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now let me tell you something. <coughs> That's not it. <clears throat> I, had, I had the flu this week. I don't think it was swine flu. If it was, you're all exposed. <clears throat> They'll have to quarantine all of us. Okay. I entitled my message last week, The Shining of the Mind. Now, I don't know if Matt caught that and labeled it that or not. But that I did. This I'm calling The Shining of the Mind Part 2. If you wonder where I got that from, I want to show you that I don't think it's artificial. This is just the way I want to start out. We're, we're, I'm going to mainly focus today in Romans 12.2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now that word transformed, and I told you guys this last week, but let me tell you real fast. The word transformed, this word is only used four times in all of our Bible. And I want to very quickly tell you about those four times again. Well, one of them is obviously right here. So we have three other times. Well, listen to this. Matthew 17.2. Don't turn there, but listen to me. He, Jesus Christ, was transfigured before them. That's the word right there. Transfigured. He was transformed before them. Literally, if we wanted to bring it over, it's the, if, and Americanize it, it's metamorphosis is the idea here. That's what you hear when you hear the Greek word behind it. He was transfigured before them, and His face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as light. Now just think with me real quick. Isaiah, we know, said describing Christ, He had no former majesty. He had no beauty that we should desire Him. When you would have looked at Jesus Christ by world standards, He wasn't a model I mean, we basically have a picture that Isaiah gives to us, and yet something happened up on this mountain. He was transfigured. He was transformed. He was metamorphosized into something that was full of shining and glory and beauty and brightness. It says, His face shone like the sun, His clothes became white as light. Okay, that's one time it's used. Another time it's used. Second time, Mark 9, 2. Again, same incident. He was transfigured before them. But Mark uses a little bit different terminology to describe it. His clothes became radiant, intensely white, and no one on earth could bleach them. Again, what you have is a man who did not have any apparent outward beauty. The Pharisees didn't look at him and say he must be the Messiah. There's, there's a glow. He wears a halo around his head like the Catholics would have us believe. There was none of that. They looked at him. His own didn't receive him. Why? Because nothing stood out about him. 
that he should have been the Messiah. This was just average Joe. No clear beauty about the guy. He goes up on this mountain, and what happens? His clothes become radiant, intensely white. No one on earth could bleach them. Again, there's a brightness. Now listen, that I realize is describing Christ. If you just study the word transform all by itself, you would say, well, it's got this idea of change. But you know what? We don't want to just generically take word definitions and apply them to the Bible. Let's let the Bible define words for us. In the Bible, the word transform is always a picture of something that seems common or not beautiful or not brilliant or not majestic taking on tremendous glory. That's the picture. You saw it both of those times. Let me give you another. 2 Corinthians 3.18 We all with unveiled face, and I was mentioning this before to you, we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. Same word. Into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Now do you see the word there? Glory. We who are, are what are what are we by nature? What you know, in our ESVs, I like it. What is it about Romans three twelve or so? It says we are worthless. I think in the King James, unprofitable, worthless. The word is useless. That's what it is. We by nature are useless. We by nature are foul. We by nature are depraved. And you know what? 2 Corinthians 3.18 actually says we are being glorified. You know, so often we think about glorification. Well, it comes at the end. Folks, that's not true. Every time you behold the Lord right now, you are being glorified. You are being saturated with glory. Glory is being worked into the fabric of your nature if you're a child of God and you're beholding Jesus Christ. You are being glorified now. From one degree of glory to another. Now what I want you to see is when this word transformed is used in the Bible, it has to do with going from what is common, what does not have beauty, what does not have majesty, what does not exude this this brilliance to that which does. That's why I call this series the shining of the mind. Because when we come over to Romans 12.2, we're using this same term, transformed. What's the idea? It's a transformation by the renewal of the mind. The mind is going from that which is... How is the mind of the lost man described in Scripture? Let me give you a few. 2 Timothy 3.8, corrupted in mind. 1 Timothy 6.5, depraved in mind. Titus 1.15, minds are defiled. Colossians 2.18, sensuous mind. Colossians 1.21, alienated and hostile in mind. Ephesians 4.17, futility of their minds. 2 Corinthians 3.14, their minds were hardened. 2 Corinthians 4.4, blinded minds. Philippians 3.19, minds set on earthly things. Am I exaggerating to say that what's being talked about in Romans 12.2 is the glorification of my mind? The shining of the mind? The mind being filled with glory? You take all that we were. And you know what Paul says now? We have the mind of Christ. That doesn't mean... If you go look in 1 Corinthians 2, 
And you look at the context there, that doesn't mean we just know the mind of Christ. That's not... When it says we have the mind of Christ, he is talking about what the Spirit of God does to us and to our understanding. He is talking about the fact that your mind is becoming like the mind of Christ. That's glory, brethren. That's glory. This is the glorification of the mind. This is the transformation of the mind. This is glory. This is shining. This is the brilliance of the mind. Okay. I wanted to basically lay out there at the beginning that me calling this message the shining of the mind is not an exaggeration. You guys believe that now? That's all I wanted to do with that little part. Now, where I want to focus our attention today is on the first statement made in verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world. Now, obvious. Now, look. Do not be conformed to this world is opposite of what? But, if, if I say don't do this, but do this, what am I doing? I'm, I'm showing you basically the opposites, right? I'm, I'm showing you the two... Di- I'm showing you this is a realm that I don't want you to go, but this is the realm I do want you to go. And if the realm I do want you to go has to go with the mind, obviously that's the context here. We're talking about mindsets. When he says don't be conformed to the world, you know what happens? Somebody comes through the door. Hey, Mark, this thing doesn't bounce around anymore. That's, that's nice. <coughs> Somebody comes in the door. And you know, you look at them and their hair, they kind of got the mohawk deal going. And, and they got, you know, earrings in both ears. Well, somebody going to look at that and say, ah, they're worldly. That's what that means. Don't be conformed to the world. And so often we think that way. Somebody walks in here, what's, what's world? Well, they got their shorts down. You know, I don't advise that. But when you come in here and you think, ah, they're all, they're all worldly. So often our concept of worldly is what people look like on the outside. Now look. The truth is, what Paul's talking about here is going to affect what people look like on the outside. But that's not the main issue. The main issue is he's talking mindset. When he says, don't be conformed to the world, it isn't, don't just wear the clothes that the world wears. That's not the, that's not the base issue here. The issue is, mind. Don't have a mindset of the world, but rather... Be transformed by the renewal of the mind. It's mind talk. That's the idea. And again, Christ is that great example. I mean, we talked about it before as we behold Him. You know what Paul comes along and does? He'll say like to the Philippians, let this mind be in you that was also in who? In Jesus Christ. Basically, what we're talking about here in not being conformed to the world is get rid of the mindset that is opposed to Christ. Get rid of any kind of mindset that Christ didn't have. I mean, we're going to go into the positive aspect of it, Lord willing, next week. But we're dealing with the negative aspect. Don't. There's a certain mindset that you are not to have that should not be permeating your minds. Do not be conformed to this world. 
Where are the minds of people? Well, I read it already. Maybe you didn't catch it, but let me repeat it. Philippians 3.19 People of this world have minds set where? On the things of the world. Where in Colossians, Paul says to the Christian, set your minds where? Things above. Or let this mind be in you, which was in Christ. Setting it above is setting it where Christ set His mind. It's having a Christ-like mindset. That's the idea. Don't conform your mindsets. And we have these. What is a mindset? A mindset is a way of thinking. It's, it's a way of thinking that kind of permeates our thoughts, our actions, our life. And a lot of times we don't even, we don't logically think about it. We don't deduce it. It's so much an ingrained way of thinking. A mindset is, is it's a pull. It's, it's a, what would be a good word for it? Not, it's just, it's a mindset is a way of thinking at work behind the way that we live and we act and we talk. Yes, it affects how you dress, how you live. Paul hits right here at the root mindsets. Oh, okay. That's it. It's a mindset. What are the worldly mindsets? Let's think about them. There's a whole bunch of them and I can't possibly cover them all today. But think about the world... Well, if we're going to talk about what don't be conformed to the world, don't be conformed to the world's mindsets, we better think about what the world is. What is the world? The, the word here is actually a word that could be translated age. Don't be conformed to this age. And really, I'm going to let the Bible define this for us. This word shows up a number of times in our Bible. I'm going to give you four examples of where it shows up. And in these four texts, I will let God's Word define what this world is or this age is that we're not to be conformed to. Now just listen to this. Galatians 1.4 The Lord Jesus Christ gave Himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. Okay. What's one thing we know about this present age? It's evil. You got that much, right? It's evil and Jesus... Now here's the thing. This ought to encourage all of you right from the get-go. Can we not be conformed to the world? Jesus Christ, it says very specifically, gave Himself to deliver us from the present evil age. So... Is it possible for us to escape confirmation or being conformed to the image of this world? Absolutely it is. He came to save us from this present evil age. So we know this. Christ came to save us from it. Whatever it is, He came to save us from it. And whatever it is, it's evil. You got that so far. 1 John 2.17 And the world, there's our word, the age, this age is passing away along with its desires. Now think about that. It's passing away, which means it's not going to be here forever. It's temporal. So the world, this age, what's happening around, it's not lasting forever. And it's passing away with its desires. Now isn't that interesting? How does an age have desires? Who has desires? People have desires. 
So obviously, whatever this age or this world is, it's got to do with the desires of men. It's evil. So they're evil desires. Whatever mindsets that we don't want to be conformed to are evil, they're passing away, they're temporary, they're mindsets that are full of desire. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4. In their case, this is speaking of unbelievers, the God of this world, now there's our word, age, the God of this world has blinded the minds, minds, you see one of the things that's, that's representative of this world is that their minds are blinded. And who is it blinded by? The God of this world. The God of this age. So here's the thing. What are they blinded from? Well, their minds are blinded to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Now, I'll tell you this, whatever this age is, whatever this world is, whatever this mindset is, it doesn't see Christ for who He is. It doesn't see the glory of God. And who is it that's kept their eyes blinded by it? The God of this world. Let me give you that one again. Ephesians 2 you were dead in the trespasses and sins. That's when you were lost. You may still be lost. This may describe you now. In which you once walked. Here it is. Following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air. That's the God of this world. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So, here's what we basically... There's a course to this world. There's a way that it goes. The course of this world, there's a path or there's a flow to this world. It's got a mindset or mindsets, plural. It's evil. It's directed by the God of this world. The course of this world is the course of the prince of the power of the air. It's in a direction where he keeps them, he guides them, he, he is taking them. Folks, you know what John tells us? The whole world lies what? In the, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Let me tell you something. We have a supernatural adversary. We sang about him. We sang about a mighty fortress who has power over him. One little word shall fell him. But we have an adversary, the devil. He hates us. He hates our marriages. He hates our children. He hates our church. He hates God. In ourselves, we are not stronger than He is. He is much stronger than us. And He's the God of this age. He's the God of the world. He's the God of this present evil world. It's all going along in His course. This world has mindsets. He directs them. You see, the thing that the Bible tells us is that this whole age, this whole world is in the power of the evil one. We, it's so often we go out and we look around and you drive through the city. Well, Why? God is the greatest reality in all the universe. Why isn't all of His excellencies placarded all over the billboards and all over the signs and all over the headlines of the newspapers? And why doesn't every radio station talk about Him? I mean, isn't He worthy of that? Obviously, He is. But the mindsets of this world, they are blinded mindsets. They are evil mindsets. There is a course of this world that takes men away from the glory of Christ. Away. That's where this is at. This is what the world is. It's this world of darkness. It's this world of perversion. And it's temporary. It's not always going to be like this. 
The day is coming. I don't know what heaven's going to be like. I don't know if there will be radio stations, TVs. I don't know if any of that. I guarantee if there's any of that, everything, every if there's any kind of entertainment, if there's any kind of anything, all of it will be so entrenched in the things of God and so focused on His glory. It won't be like this world. This is temporary. It's passing away. Okay? It's basically the world. It's this system. This Christ-rejecting system that is basically lorded over by the God of this world, it's passing away because Christ's triumph is imminent. Christ is going to defeat this whole deal. And one of the ways He's defeating it is through His children that He came to save in their minds. One of the ways this thing is being defeated is by Him working through His Spirit in the minds, bringing our mind more into the conformity of the mind of Christ, so that these mindsets are broken. When He makes all things new, that's what He's doing in His people. He's making the mindsets new. This this is so important, because so often we get hung up on the externals. It's the heart of the matter. It's the mindset. People act and live and do according to their mindsets. So what are some of these mindsets of the world? i give you one. One of the mindsets of the world is that life here is forever. That's the way they think. I mean, you know what? I can remember walking into my house when I... Oh, actually, I wasn't living there at the time. Ruby and I were visiting... I walk in to my stepdad's. Oh, I can just remember being there in the living room. My stepdad had been told he had liver cancer and he had three months to live. I can remember looking at him. (coughs) And there he is reading the evening paper. With the TV on. I'm looking at my dad reading the newspaper. He's been given three months to live. He's reading the paper. The mindset of this world. Oh, if you ask, if you ask the people of this world, are you going to die? Well, factually, they know. Factually, they'll tell you, yeah, I'm going to die. But you know there's a mindset. Why was it when I was lost, I would ride my motorcycle like, like a madman, just barely on the edge of death? Because I thought I was immortal. I really did. I did not think I was going to die. That's how the world is. My dad, sitting there, even though he's been told he's a dead man, he doesn't really believe he's going to die that night or tomorrow. He believes he's got time. That's the mindset of the world. They don't want to think about eternity. They don't want to think about the fact that life comes to an end. But what do we find when we come to the Scriptures? What is the mindset God would have us to have? You are but a vapor. You are a little mist that is here. You're like these flowers. Today they're there. Tomorrow they are thrown away. You know what the psalmist did? Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Psalm 39.4 O Lord, make me know my end 
And what is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. Folks, you know what that mindset does? The mindset of the world? Listen, Ruby and I just went off to St. Louis. We went over there and we stayed in a motel for four days. Hotel. My family was telling me the difference between hotel and motel. Okay, we stayed in a hotel. We went in. Look, we were in that room for four nights. If we would have gone in there the first night, we'd have busted out the paint. We'd start painting the walls, putting new wallpaper up, buying a new home entertainment system, putting new carpet in. We're just decking it out. Lighters come down there and say, what are you guys doing? Well, you know, we're staying here. We're, we want it to be comfortable. Buy a new refrigerator, buy a new posturepedic mattress. We're putting it all... They think you guys are crazy. You're only here for four nights. So you'd think, say somebody was crazy if they did that. But step back in light of eternity and look what your life here is. It's nothing. It's nothing. What a, we read in the Scriptures about the ages to come. You tell me, in all the millions of ages to come, what is 70 years? What is 80 years? It's like a stay in a motel. And you watch the way people groom their yards, the way people buff their cars, the way people decorate their houses. They have a mindset that it is forever. May God teach us to number our days. Life is short, brethren. You don't want to go investing in this world. It's passing away. Mindsets make... Folks, mindsets are behind why people make the decisions that they make. Okay, let me give you a second one. Another mindset of the world. There's no judgment day. Hey, just think about that one. Judgment Day. The Bible says we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Let me tell you, you guys spend this entire week going through the radio stations, even the Christian ones, supposed. Go through all the stations on the radio and find if you can... See if somebody talks about Judgment Day one time. You know what's amazing? Death and judgment are imminent. We cannot escape it. We're all headed there. It is certainty. And yet, this world's mindset says, don't think about them or reject them altogether. That's the mindset of the world. Judgment Day. The voice of this world You'll not see it on the headlines in the newspaper, folks. This world does not want to go there. I mean, can you guys imagine flipping on like David Letterman or something and find him talking about Judgment Day? It's not going to happen. Why? The world's mindset is totally opposed. Now listen, the mindset is constantly that that the God of this world is working into the fabric of this world. The devil does not want men thinking about death and he does not want men thinking about the judgment. He blinds men. The mindsets of these worlds are not in light of judgment. Brethren, every one of you, 
You're going to be there on judgment day. When judgment and coming to give an account before God is constantly in the mind, it shapes the way you live. It shapes the things you do. But when you, when you get the mindset of the world, it forgets about it. It's all about leisure. It's all about ease. It's all about recreation. It's all about this world and how we can live it up right here. Brethren, nothing could be more certain than these two things. Death and judgment. It is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment. Another mindset. And like I said before, I I just simply cannot deal with all of them. I'm just giving you some. Some that, that came to me. And obviously some of these could go, we could go much further with. But I'll give you a third one. The mindset of the world. God is little and man is big. I mean, if that one just doesn't spill out in a thousand different ways. Just consider, you know what I did? I just got online and I just hit God in the headlines. You know what I wanted to do? I just wanted to look at some of the headlines. Here we have this world, this world system. Obviously, the media is all about the world system. So, what's their thinking? Well, just look at their headlines. I thought, let me look at the headlines that have been recently in the papers concerning God versus the headlines concerning Obama. Obama! Messiah! On the other hand, you got deals about God over here. I mean, listen to the Obama ones. Farrakhan calls Obama the Messiah. Obama named Times 2008 Person of the Year. And you get the idea. Man is pumped. The ones on God. The Asian tsunami. Where was God? Question mark. Suicide bombs for God. Somebody was blowing up somebody in the name of God. Another one I found. Did Buddha believe in God? Now, just think about these things. When God's in the headlines, it's always calling Him to question. Who in the world is man to take God to task? And yet, look at it. Obama, the Messiah. You might think that God would get a headline, the excellencies of Christ, and have them numerated there. No. A tsunami comes. Where's God? Because i got a bone to pick with Him. Because either He's weak, or He's cruel. You see, it's always, did Buddha believe in God? Like what? Like Buddha is the, is the standard? You see, it's man who's brought to the place of, of the supremacy. God just kind of hangs there. And who in the world is man to do such a thing? And yet that is the mindset of the world. God is constantly pressed down, called into question, always diminished, always demeaned, and man is exalted. I mean, think about it. The tsunami. The hurricane. Katrina. Ripped up the middle part of our country. All the things that were said about God in the midst of that. Brethren, you think about it. You've got, you've got the Olympics. Some guy runs 100 meters, or swims 100 meters, faster than any other man has ever done it. And what's going to happen? 
I mean, he's likely to get his picture on a cereal box. He's likely to get written up and get all these acclaims about him. And think about what he did. He simply kicked his feet faster and harder than any other man has done, made it across a little body of water in a time, or he made his feet go one after another a little bit faster, and he got from here to barely the end of the cars out there. And it, the world makes all this acclaim. God can, just with a thought, just with the little, bare little pressure of His finger, create a storm that just of such power and magnificence or a wave that literally can cross the world. Man doesn't look at it and fall on his face and say, God is so great! What demonstrations of power! Where was God? See, it's immediately calling Him into question. That's the mindset of the world. God constantly being diminished. Constantly. God is always set up as pathetic, weak, cruel. Man constantly amplified and magnified and glorified. Brethren, let me tell you something. This is a subtle mindset. Oh, you look at it, you know, it doesn't take much to see it when the atheist jumps out there and says there is no God, or somebody jumps out there with these open theists and they say God doesn't know the future, and they basically diminish God. But I'll tell you what, even among us, this subtle mindset can creep in. How does it creep in? I'll tell you how it does. Get sick. Get hurt. How many Christians, first thing they do, on the phone, they got to dial the nurse or, or call it, got to go to the doctor, got to run here. Why? Because doctor's God. After all, God can't help us anymore. That's only for people who lived a long time ago and didn't have all the modern science we have today. People running right off to the doctors, they're running off to the health care, they're running off to this. Now, hey, that stuff may have its place, but they slight God. They don't go there first. You know why? It's a mindset. It's a mindset that says, when I've got health problems, I've got to go to the doctor. Not to God. I don't... You know what it's... Basically, that is, that is a mindset. I think Christians, I think some of you right here, if you really examine that, you would admit, there are times you do not pray. I mean, the thought of fasting to God to cure one of your children that has something, calling the elders together to pray over it. Hey, I know the amount of times that folks in this church have asked me to pray over the sick and over the hurt compared to the numbers of times you folks have taken your children to the hospital or to the doctor or to the emergency room, guess what? I've been asked like not many times. The church hasn't been asked to pray over people that many times. You guys have health issues all the time. Guess how many times you guys have called the doctor, called the nurse, gone there, gone up. Why? Because man's got the solutions, right? Man's got the way. Man's medical system is it. God designed the body. Where's God get the credit in this? We've come to a place in our lives where we bought into that mindset. Let me tell you where else it comes. Right in the church. There's a mindset in the church that if you don't have degrees after your names and certain numbers and letters after your name, who are you to be standing in a pulpit? After all, we've got to have man's credentials. We've got to have man's seminaries. We've got to have man's training. There is a mindset like that today. 
Not that God can form a man of God. Not that God has something to do with it. The way we manufacture men for the pulpit is we got to put them through man's little steps. To put them through man. So often we have a, there's a mindset that education can solve all our problems. As I was telling somebody last week, all education does is take people who stab each other with knives and it makes them smart enough to create atomic bombs. They can just blow each other up by the bunches. Education does not solve man's problems. It doesn't go to the heart of the matter. And I'm not knocking education in its place or doctors in their place or healthcare in its place. I'm just saying there's a mindset that runs straight to man. I can remember another time. Here we are. <coughs> back over there in Hackberry. One of the first times we began talking about the fact we may need another building. We may, need to, we may be outgrowing it. Now there was a man there, and he was a lost man. So I would expect him to say this. But notice how this lost man's words echo some of your own thinking. We've talked about the need of a building. The guy immediately, you know what we need to do? We need to take out a loan. We need to go to a bank. We need to get a loan. Why? Because money, money is such the essence of what man can do. We run to money. The mindset of the world is trust money. Trust it, trust it, trust it. Emergency fund. That's what Dave Ramsey says. I need an emergency fund. No, what an emergency fund really is, is it's a trust fund. It's where I can put my trust. It's something I can see. I can walk without having to live by faith. Because after all, God is insufficient. Now, see, Christians wouldn't say it and they wouldn't admit it. But there's a mindset. Can God supply all my needs? Well, certainly, we'll say it. But there's a mindset underneath that says, but I don't really think it's true. Again, we diminish God. We exalt man. Basically, man's money, man's loans, man's ways. Look, when the world wants a building... What do they do? They go get a loan. When a building needs medical care, what do they do? They go to the doctor. And I realize there may be places for those, but what I'm saying is a mindset comes in where that's the first place people run. Why? Because they have no confidence in God anymore. They have no confidence that God can help them in that situation. That is a worldly mindset, folks. We don't want to run there. Psalm 9.19 Arise, O Lord. Let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before You. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know that they are but men. Joy. Think about this. Mindsets of the world. Where does the world find its joy? Think with me, folks. Several years back, I was working over at Miller Curtain Company. One day, I'm headed up to my office, going through the shop. Big guy there, he's a mechanic. He'd been diagnosed with cancer. They didn't know if he was going to live. I'm walking by, I'm talking a little bit about, to him about his cancer. You know what he said to me? Of all the things he could have said, he said, you know, one thing that I'd like to see before I die 
is I'd just like to see the Spurs win one more championship. I walked away and I thought, God help us. That is the mindset of the world. Joy is found in this world. Folks, in the Bible, what you find is the guy's going through the field and he comes across the treasure and it says, for joy, he goes and he sells all that he has to have that treasure. We speak about these just vast, unmeasurable, glorious riches of Christ. The world doesn't have that mindset that Christ is the very heart of joy. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. You know what? Most of the people out here on the streets, I'm going to give you one wish. I want to win the lotto. Because that's the mindset. The mindset of this world is that joy is found in stuff. It's found in the spurs. It's found in money. It's found in sex. It's found in the stuff here. And the Bible says there are these vast storehouses of treasure to be found in Christ. You know what the mindset of the world is, right? Look at the bumper stickers, right? Don't they typically give us? What's it say? He who dies with the most toys wins. That's the mindset of the world. John Wesley, on March 2nd, 1791, Wesley died. I don't think he had the mindset of the world. He had the mindset that we are needing to move towards. He says, as he lay dying, his friends gathered round him. Wesley grasped their hands, said repeatedly, farewell, farewell. At the end, summoning all his remaining strength, he cried out, the best of all, God is with us. He lifted up his arms, raised his feeble voice again, repeating the words, the best of all, God is with us. He died. He had a few miscellaneous coins and two silver spoons. He'd given away the rest. In one year, he earned today's equivalent of $1.4 million. Yet he lived his life on 2% of that income, gave 98% of it away. In fact, during his lifetime, he earned the equivalent of $30 million. He practiced what he preached when he said, gain all you can. Save all you can. He didn't mean save it up in storehouses on this earth. He meant be as frugal as you can. Save. In other words, when you buy stuff, get it at the best price. Spend as little as possible. And then he said, give all you can. He died with only those few coins, a couple of silver spoons. But what he left behind as a result of his life work was a Methodist church of 135,000 members and 541 itinerant preachers carrying forward the message of full salvation from sin. Folks, it sounds like this man took seriously our Lord's admonition to not lay up for yourselves treasures on this earth. See, that's the mindset. The mindset of the world is store it here, store it here, collect it here, put it here, put it over there, bring it into my house, more stuff, get it in my house, 
Get it over there. Oh, that came from my aunt, so-and-so. That's from grandma. That's from the... Can't get rid of that. It's all about this world. It's all attachments here. Well, that belonged to my great-great-grandma. So what? Did you never read what Peter said? There's a fire coming. And that fire is going to burn it up. So what? Does it help you spiritually? Does it help you love Christ more? Give it away. I belong to my grandmother. That is such a worldly mindset. That is this world's mindset. Jesus Christ said, the mind that ought to be in you, go sell your possessions, go give it, and give to those who are in need. Give alms and give to the poor. When that rich young ruler came to Jesus Christ, you think Jesus was thinking, oh, but you don't have to give away that old vase that came from your grandmother. I remember, I know that's got sentimental value. You, you can hold on to that. Let this mind be in you which was in Christ. And what was his mind? Go sell it all and follow me. But Lord, it's got all this sentimental value. That's the world's mindsets. Your life is a vapor. The fire's coming that's going to burn this up. Judgment day is imminent. God is great. Your grandmother that gave you the vase is small. God is great. And God calls you to live for Him. It's that mindset, folks. You see, we fall in these things. We live in a, in a world that it's coming at us all the time. And you know one of the worst things that can happen to you is you get in a church where it's even coming at you there. At least, God, help us to have a place where we can come and actually hear the mindset of Christ and get away from these worldly mindsets. The worst thing that can happen is you get it in the world, you come into the church and you get it. You come into some churches and the mindset is what? Safety. Security. we got to be safe. we got to be proper. we got to be conservative. Is that the Really, is that the mindset of Christ? You know what Christ did? Christ went and He drank wine with tax collectors. Now, could you guys imagine? You're driving down the east side and I come out of one of these slum houses over here full of a bunch of guys off the east side. I come out, what you doing in there? I was in there having something, drinking wine with them. You'd immediately look at me and say, you're worldly. Most churches would look at that and say, they're worldly. You know what? I know that some have looked at our church, and when some of you guys came in the beginning, you wear your hats backwards or crooked or whatever, and there are people from other churches who look at you guys and say, they're worldly! Let me tell you something. This is all about mindset. Jesus Christ didn't go have supper with tax collectors and sinners because His mindset was to go get drunk and eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. He had a burden for souls. He had a burden. That's a mindset. And when you have that mindset, guess what works out in your life? I do all things. Or I become all things. To all people. Looking for any way and any means that I might win people to Christ. That's what Paul said. So he said, when you come into life, listen, when we have a mindset of Christ, one of the things, we don't be conformed to the world, 
But I'll tell you what, it's not saying run out and be conformed to the mindset of every religious guy out there. Because typically throughout history, you know the ones who have attacked most greatly the mindset of Christ? It's been the religious people. Jesus Christ goes in there with a mindset, what? He came to seek and to save the lost. So does that mean go sit down and have a glass of wine with the tax collectors? You betcha. That's what He did. And He loved their souls. Here you got examples throughout history. A.B. Simpson, Calvinist, Presbyterian, went to Louisville, Kentucky. He just felt burdened. We've got to reach this city. Went down there to the inner city. Said, I see a theater there. Very popular place. Christians didn't go there. Theater owner was probably very surprised when A.B. Simpson would even talk to him. Came to him and said, I'd like to rent your place. Want to hold evangelistic meetings there. Guess who the ones were that had the greatest difficulties with him doing that? In the article I read, it was the Pharisees from the synagogue. We know who that is, right? It's the religious Whitfield. Whitfield comes on the scene. Let me, let me read that to you. I've got it here buried in my notes somewhere. Let, I want you guys to hear about Whitfield. In 1738, standing in the pulpit of the crowded out church of Bermond's Day, he was haunted by the fact that more than a thousand stood outside. He was haunted twice as much because of the reason they were there. You know why he was preaching in a church and a thousand people were outside? They were coal miners and they stunk. And the church people didn't want him inside. A thousand people standing out there. He was grieved. They gave off an odor that no one could deny and few would endure. He told his friend John Wesley, I plan to begin field preaching. Wesley thought the scheme was insane. Not to mention it was also illegal. You were only permitted outdoor preaching at public hangings. So guess what Whitfield did? He waited for the next public hanging. But, before there was a public hanging, Whitfield's heart had been broken by the coal miners at Kingswood, Bristol. Men as violent as they were vulgar. Once the date for the hanging had been set, the miners began anticipating the celebrations surrounding the entertainment. And they basically went to the hangings and they got drunk and wild. <clears throat> when the murderer cheated them, he committed suicide before the hanging. He cheated them of their amusement. The miners, still wanting to have their party, went and dug up the corpse and partied around it. They and their families were 100% illiterate, stuck in a degradation that defies description. Here's what Whitfield did. Fully in his Anglican clerical garb. And you've probably seen it if you've seen any pictures of him. You know, long flowing robe. He walks into the midst. Dead body. Bunch of guys all savagely partying. He walks in the midst of these illiterate, degraded full of his clerical attire, began speaking to them from Matthew 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now let me tell you something. The coal miners didn't despise him. As they wept, 
their black faces from the coal dust begin to leave white streaks. He was despised. He was despised. Whitfield was. He was contemptuously shunned. But I'll tell you what, it wasn't by the coal miners. You know who it was by? It was by the church. It was by the religious people. That's always been the case. Hudson Taylor, he's got a heart for sinners. He realizes he needs to go inland. He needs to begin to work among the people. And so you know what he does? He does something that was absolutely unheard of. He went and he had his hair cut just like the Chinese. And he wore the ponytail. And he put on their clothes. And he began to wear it all the time. And he didn't take it off when he went among the foreigners. And he wasn't only chastised by the foreigners. You know the ones that really ripped into him? It was the foreign missionaries. They despised him. Let me tell you something. The mindset... The not being conformed to this world mindset is not a mindset that takes us out of the world into our cloistered, little, sterile, protected, safe places. The mindset of the world is safety. The mindset of the world is, I need to have retirement funds. I need to have savings accounts. I need to have stuff I can see. Store up treasure here. That's the mindset of the world. Security. You know what? Security and safety are a mirage. God can take you out with a heart attack no matter where you are. <coughs> if you're a Christian and you're in this room right now and you lost a lot of money in this economic crisis, you should be ashamed of yourself. Why? Because you stored up treasure here and God took it from you. Just like He said He would. Moths, thieves, rust, Economic crisis fits right in there, folks. If you lost in it, you weren't storing it where you should. There isn't security here. The mindset of the world is, seek security here. The mindset of Christ is, give it, store it in heaven. See, folks, we are constantly pummeled. We are constantly inundated. Let me tell you something. Some... Within the church too, there's this mindset about America. America is God's country. It's in a tailspin. We're losing, it's, it's, we're losing grasp on it. It's spinning downward. It's headed towards Sodom and Gomorrah. Let me tell you something. Ever since the fall, the United States of America has been in the power of the evil one. That's what the Bible says. If you think America is God's country, you haven't read your Bibles right. It says it's in the power of the evil one. And as it's spinning, the point and the mindset that we're supposed to have is not to spin down with it. And it's also not to run away from it. It's not to become cynical. It's not to become angry. It's not to despise it. Listen, we are called to be salt and light. As it gets darker, we don't look at it and say, well, let them alone in their darkness and we're going to hop huddle together within these four walls and be all safe and be all sterile. We're to be light. Light shines in the darkness. Look, you're not to have the mindsets of the world, but that doesn't mean you're to avoid the people that have those mindsets. Paul says he doesn't want us to stop eating with fornicators and adulterers. Then you'd have to come out of the world altogether. That's not what he wants. He says, get in there. Have dinner with them. Don't take on their mindsets. 
But get in there with them. The mindset you ought to have is one to go after sinners. You ought to have a heart for men and women. You ought to have that mind of Christ. Become all things to all men. And you know what? I don't care if other churches laugh at us. And I don't care if they think, if they're just looking on the outside and they're thinking a bunch of things. It doesn't matter if the religious stuff shirts in this world find fault. Bottom line, we need to have the mindset of Christ. You're salt. Salt doesn't just look at the meat decaying and become cynical at it, become despising of it. Some of you have this idea that the way America's going down, oh no, we're losing our grasp. You never had a grasp. It's always been salt and light. It's always been to have the proper mindset. This isn't our country. The mindset of the Christian is we're pilgrims. We're sojourners. We're passing through. This isn't our home. We look for a better country. But while we're here, we don't all go into the monasteries. We don't all isolate ourselves. The mindsets can't permeate us. We want to keep ourselves from them. But what we want to do is take our mindsets, our mindsets of light and salt, and affect this world. Oh yeah, we could all become little house on the prairie people and move out to some compound somewhere. That's not what Christ did. He came, and what was He? They said, this guy eats with tax collectors and sinners. And you know what? They meant, they meant, they actually meant to insult him by that. Do you think that was an insult to him? That's a compliment. That's what we're supposed to do. Not be thinking like the world, storing up all our stuff here, looking at God as little. Is God big? Can God help us? Can God heal us? Can God provide for us? Away with that puny God mindset. Is, is the coming judgment real? Is your death imminent? Away with this attitude that you're going to live here forever. Is America in the grips of the God of this world? Absolutely. Away with this foolishness that America is a, is a Christian country. The only country that's Christian is the heavenly one. We are in the midst of a country that is full of decadence and rot and filth. But it's always been that way. And it was no different 2,000 years ago. That Roman Empire was the same filth and the same rot and in the power of the evil one. Those churches, our brethren that lived there in Rome and in Ephesus and Corinth and Philippi, they were the same salt. They were the same light. And it was a deadly deal. <coughs> brethren, I've told you about those Moravians before. Paris Reed hadn't doesn't give us exactly the most historic account. If you don't know what that is, don't worry. Those, those two men went out to the docks there at Copenhagen. You know what? A slave by the name of Anthony had come to Hernhut. That's where the Moravians were. Count Zinzendorf. 
Anthony came there. He was a slave. He had come from the West Indies. He said, there's nobody there to preach the gospel to my family. He had been converted as a slave in Europe. Came to Zinzendorf, pleaded with him, send somebody. You know what happened? Spirit of God fell in Hernhut. They'd been contemplating sending men. Even at that time, there were people that told those two men, don't go! They left family. They left all the securities of this world, which I emphasize again are but a mirage. And you know what they did? They set out. On that boat, you know their famous words, may the lamb that was slain have the reward of his suffering. They didn't go there forever. They didn't sell themselves into slavery like Reedhead says. What they did was they went there. After four months of observation, one of the guys came back to give a report about what the other one was doing. After several years, others went over there to relieve the one that was there because he had to come home and be an elder back in Hernhut. But when they went there, 18 of them stayed. 11 of them died. Then eleven more came and nine of them died. And they kept coming and they kept dying. Finally in the end, the account I read, his two families in Count Zinzendorf himself went there. Because the last guy they sent over there had 200 converts and the slave owners threw him in prison. They hadn't heard from him in a long time. There's Zinzendorf on the deck of the ship. He sees the West Indies. He turns to the two couples. He says, what if they're all gone? And one of them says back to him, then we're here. And it flashed across his face, yes, a people who will not die, the Moravians. But that's a bigger picture of all of Christianity. Folks, there's no security here. What kind of mindset is it that makes men and women go to where there's almost certain suffering and probable death? It is a mindset that says the glories of Christ far outweigh this world. To die... For, you know what? There was an age when the mindset of the men and women that followed Christ said, praise God that we have been counted worthy to suffer for Him. Today the mindset is safety, safety, safety. And you know what? Wherever the church has sought safety, protection, to protect its gains, to come in, to circle the wagons, the power of God has gone. Every time. Every time. If we go out of this life in a blaze of glory, suffering and dying for Christ, there is a mindset, folks, that takes a Moravian to the West Indies. There is a mindset that has clouded the minds of many in modern day Christianity. We need, you know what, if God's Spirit would fall upon us and we would become the next Moravian movement, I would for eternity praise God for such a thing. There's a mindset. Brethren, don't be conformed to this world. As you read your Bibles, Look for mindset. Because when you read your Bible with your worldly mindset, then you don't see Scripture to say what it's really saying. You read it through the lens of a mindset that doesn't allow you to see what is actually being said. You read the Bible with your worldly mindset and you don't see Christ saying, don't Lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. And yet, through your lens, 
Got your IRA, got your 401k, got your... See through your lens. You're just, you're seeing it all. Brethren, let us press on. Let us go forward. Be not conformed to this world. You're dismissed.